need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. We got plumbing issues, we got light issues. <laughs> but we have a building, that's great, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter. First Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13, Peter writes, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's the title of my study this morning, A Reason for Hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in your word. Knowing, Lord, as we dig into your word, your Holy Spirit is here to teach us and instruct us. Lord, we, to, to, to really give us application in our lives, Lord, to live pleasing lives to you. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing upon our time together. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to commit their hearts and life to you today, they're, they're not born again, we pray, Lord, you especially touch their heart this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, at the end of every year, and you, you've probably seen this, towards the beginning of a new year, you always notice the news services, the, the programs on TV, the talk shows, you know, they talk about the previous year, the, the year in review. They go over the highlights of what's happened in the previous year and, and just to remember what, remind us of what the year was like. And then typically, those same, you know, newspapers and magazines, there's somebody who'll make a prediction about the future, what you can expect in the coming years. And actually, some of those predictions have actually been astonishingly accurate. I found one back in 1987. Apple Corporation predicted a device called the Navigator. They made this prototype uh, and a video about it. It wasn't actually invented because the technology hasn't even been developed yet. But they have this, what looks like a, you know, a computer screen laying down. It was rather large. It had a, a, a screen, had an interface on it. It had a front-facing camera. You can see the lens on it. And, and it's like, Wow. That looks really cool. They had a, a telephone and, and a reader and, and would have the capability to voice command, search the Internet. So they had this video that they made, and the man's talking. It's on his desk, and he's talking back and forth and, and, and making these appointments and asking this question. They're like, wow, this is, is awesome. This is back in 1987. I mean, the Internet wasn't even invented in 1987. It was an astonishing prediction. My tablet right now that I'm using does all those things in the size, the size of, a, of a piece of paper. It's, it's amazing. Now, most of you know that I'm a, I'm a Star Trek fan. You know, it, it's, it just, it's my, my downfall, I admit it. But, but some of their technology has actually come to pass. I mean, you would have, you know, Captain Kirk asking the onboard computer questions. And they would say, computer. And they asked a question. Well, my kids got Lisa and I an Amazon Alexa for Christmas. And guess what? You can program it to answer to the word computer. So, so I did that. I, and I got it. So I say, computer, turn on the lights. And the lights come on. Computer, play music. It comes on. Computer, beam me up. It doesn't do that. But, but, but we've been asking it over and over again. Computer, what's the temperature outside? And we're just like every five minutes. And she just tells us. It's stinking cold. Don't go outside. No, she doesn't tell us that. She, she tells us the temp. My point is that that 
that Star Trek came up with that back in the 60s. Technology really has sort of taken over our life. So then I started thinking, where is my flying car? I mean, have you thought about that? Do you ever see the Jetsons? You know, maybe you haven't, but they had a flying car, you know? Back to the Future, the movie, 2015, they had flying cars. And I don't think I'm going to get one in my lifetime, but I'm sure when I get to heaven and God establishes his, his kingdom on earth, perhaps we'll do a little bit of flying then, and, and who knows what we'll be able to do in those new bodies that God gives us, but it would be fun to do. But listen, we don't know what new gadgets they'll come up with, what new technology they'll invent, what the future brings with all that stuff. But what we do know for sure is Jesus Christ is coming soon. And I pray that it's in 2018. In fact, I pray that it's before we get to 2018. Uh, I pray that it's right now. Right now. One more try, be in 2017. I'm just praying for that. Because listen, as amazingly as technology is, it can't save us. Only Christ can and will when he comes back and establishes his kingdom on earth. That's the only answer. Politicians won't save us. Technology won't save us. No man-made solution will bring the answers we're looking for today. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And now as we sit a day before 2018 and wonder what will 2018 bring, here's the bottom line. We just don't know. We don't know what 2018 will bring. But it's been well said, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds our tomorrow. And that's a hope that we have as Christians that we can look into the new year. We know that God has everything under his control. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, hope and a reason for hope. See, Peter, he's writing this to a group of people who are going through difficult days, troubling times. Persecution against them had already begun and it would even become even more intense in the days to come. They'd be fed to lions, nailed to crosses, have have a hot boiling oil being dunked in that. They'd be lit up as human torches in Nero's garden. In fact, in the coming years, six million would go through intense persecution, ending in their deaths on, uh, on the earth. So Peter, knowing these things, the persecution the church is facing, the difficulties of living in a society that's become hostile to Christians, he says something interesting in verse 14. He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. So he's saying, even if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. Now you might think, happy? Really? I don't think any kind of suffering can make me happy. But you see, Peter knew what they didn't quite understand. And that is the darker it becomes around a Christian, the greater is the light that shines from the Christian. Let me say that again. The darker it becomes around a Christian, the greater is the light that shines from a Christian. See, Peter knew they were living in dark days. And he knew that it was going to get darker still. But he also knew that those dark days was going to give them an opportunity for their life to shine brightly for Jesus. And I think about, you know, we had a little bit of snow what, about a week ago. And it's still on my back deck and, you know, it doesn't get much sunlight. But, but uh, you know, the best thing about snow when it comes down pretty good is at night. You know, you get a full moon and it looks like it's daylight out because, you know, the, 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 the sun off of the moon lights up the snow. It shines really bright even in the darkest of nights. That's how it is for us that have had our sin forgiven. The Lord told Isaiah in Isaiah 1.18, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be as wool. For us that have had our sins forgiven, it's like the snow on a dark night reflecting the light of the sun, Jesus Christ. 
fact, Paul put it this way in Philippians 2.15, that we as Christians, we should become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Lighting the world up. That's our responsibility in the dark world, to shine as lights. And the darker it gets, the more opportunities we have to shine. See, we walk among people who are without hope. They're busy filling their lives with all sorts of substitutes to attempt to make sense of life. And so Peter here is instructing the church how to live in this dark time, and it all comes down to one word. Hope. Hope. And if you're taking notes, I have three points. Number one, we're to have hope. Number two, we're to give hope. And number three, we have three reasons for hope. So number one, we're to have hope. Now, I found a story about a missionary who was sitting at her second-story window when she was handed a letter from home. And she opened the letter, and, and a crisp new $10 bill fell out of it. She was pleasantly surprised, but as she read the letter, her eyes were distracted by the movement of this shabbily-dressed stranger down below, leaning against the post in front of her building. And she couldn't get him off of her mind, thinking that while he might be in a greater financial need than she, and she slipped the bill into an envelope on which she quickly penned on the outside of the envelope, don't despair. And she dropped the letter out the window. The stranger below picked it up, read it, looked up and smiled, tipped his hat as he went his way. Well, the next day she was about to leave the house when a knock came at the door. She found that same shabbily dressed man smiling as he handed her a roll of bills. When she asked what they were for, he replied, that's 60 bucks you won, lady. Don't despair, paid five to one. Get it? The horse races and five to one. And I don't think that's what she meant by don't despair. Listen, Peter's saying the same thing here. Don't despair. Why does he say that? Well, it's because back at verse 12, he said, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. That's why we, we don't have to despair. And then he adds this. Look at verse 13. He says, for who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good. Now you read that and you go, is that a trick question? I know a lot of people will harm me when I decide to do good. You know, have you ever stopped, you know, when you're driving to let someone pull out in front of you and you get a horn honking behind you to keep moving? They're harming you because, you know, you did something good. Maybe you feel that way. Every time you reach out the hands to help someone with your hand, they slap it. Listen, we need to understand the context in which Peter is writing this. Peter is speaking of the spiritual, not the physical. Sure, we can be harmed physically on this earth, even for doing good, but no harm can come to us when it comes to our spiritual life. Peter's talking about the hope we have in Christ Jesus. I think of the missionary Jim Elliott and the four other men who were killed in 1956 by the Aka Indians. Why were they killed? Because they were doing good. They were trying to reach these Indians with the gospel. Now, in the end, not only did the Akas learn about Jesus' love and forgiveness, but many other people all over the world decided to serve the Lord after hearing their story. So you could say, what harm came to Jim Elliot and his four companions for doing good? Well, they died physically, but spiritually, man, they lived on. They were blessed, and their story was used mightily after their deaths. Because the Bible teaches to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when they took their last breath upon this earth, they took their first breath in heaven. I mean, within five minutes, they're experiencing joy and peace and, 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 and ultimate satisfaction of eternity with Christ. No more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. So really, what harm came to them? Nothing good came to them. 
Their death was just a mode of transportation to get them from one place to another, a much better place. And so Peter's talking about the spiritual over the physical and how much the Lord places the spiritual above the physical. He's given them hope in a perverse world that they're living in. And the fact is, things were going to get worse and worse for them. As I said already, in the coming years, over six million would go through intense persecution, ending in their deaths. Peter is saying, listen, they may harm you physically, but they can't harm you spiritually. I like the way Jesus put it in Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's what Peter's talking about. Look at verse 14. He says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Don't, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. So he says, We'll be blessed for suffering for righteousness' sake. Now that word for blessed is, Oh, how happy. So Peter says, If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, Oh, how happy you'll be. Why is that? Well, again, Jesus answered it in Matthew 5.10. He said there, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, again, our hope is in Jesus Christ and the promise of heaven. In fact, Jesus said in John fifteen twenty, Remember this word I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, be happy because you're being treated just the way Jesus was. And listen, you're going to heaven. Now, here's the deal that, that bothers some people. The righteousness we received in Christ is by its very nature confrontational. Even though we may not use even words, you know, preached words. In other words, often our lives preach louder than our words. And when they do, that confronts wickedness because of that contrast that's in the world today. Jesus said in John 3.20, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So when you're living a godly life, your very example is that of a rebuke to a person who's not living a godly life. Your very presence can be irritating. You don't even have to say anything that's offensive. You just walk up and say, Hi, praise, praise the Lord, what a glorious day. And they're like, you know, Who are you to judge me? Judge you? What are you talking about? All I said was hi. But it's just who you are and, and what you stand for and what you believe and who you follow that brings the confrontation, that brings the persecution. Righteousness brings persecution. There's a, a promise in the Bible that I don't think many people like to claim, me included, and you never hear people say, oh, my life verse is 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When was the last time you claimed that promise? You know, we all claim all the promises for healing and for guidance and protection, and we should. But when was the last time you said, okay, Lord, you promised in your word that all you live godly in Christ Jesus yourself are persecution. I, I claim that promise. No thanks. But listen, if you are experiencing persecution, it's a good indication that you're living a godly life. It's a good thing that, that you're living in Christ's righteousness. John Wesley, a traveling preacher who began the Wesley Methodist movement back in the 1700s, was persecuted quite a bit. Yet one story goes that on one occasion, he had not been persecuted in nearly three days in a row. Questioning whether or not he's really been living a godly life, when riding to the next town, he cried out to the Lord, Oh God, have I backslidden against you? I haven't been persecuted in three days. Well, just then there was a guy listening from behind the bushes. He heard him and it angered him so much that he picked up a brick and heaved it at Wesley. 
Now he missed, but Wesley, upon seeing this, said, Thank God I'm all right. I still have God's presence. Listen, you may not have had a brick thrown at you, but there are other ways in which persecution can show itself. Not getting a promotion. Getting made fun of. You know, getting mocked, getting sued and losing your business because you took a stand for righteousness and against sinfulness. Certainly, we see examples of persecution throughout the New Testament. We see the, the courage of these people just laying down their lives for their faith. Many people have been martyred for their faith, even up into this time when we live. It's still going on. Listen, the Christian faith is still under attack like never before. According to Christianity Today magazine, for the third year in a row, the modern persecution of Christians worldwide has hit another record high. North Korea remains the the most dangerous place to be a Christian for 14 straight years. Then comes Somalia, then Afghanistan, and then the most violent, Pakistan, rose to number four on the list of level of violence. And then number five is Sudan. Islamic extremism uh, Christianity says remains a global dominant driver of persecution responsible for initiating oppression and conflict in 35 out of the 50 countries on the 2017 list. Now, that doesn't mean that in America we're not going to be attacked. Certainly, praise God, we have not reached the point of the physical attacks like these other countries have. But persecution just isn't when a person strikes you or threatens you. It can be mockery. It can be slander. Maybe you do know what it's like to lose a job because of your commitment to Christ or not be hired for a job because of your commitment to Christ. Oh, they won't say that's the reason for it, but but it can be. It it is. Maybe you're the black sheep of the family because you've taken a stand for Christ as a believer. Maybe you're not invited to the get-togethers anymore. I know when I first came to Christ, the first year and a half, two years, we weren't invited to family gatherings anymore. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want me to be around. Now, praise God, it's changed after that, but, but, you know... What does Jesus say? Blessed are you. What does Peter say? If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Now, we need to make sure that you're suffering for righteousness' sake. You know, just not because you're being obnoxious. Peter doesn't say if you should suffer for being obnoxious, you are blessed. Neither did Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you if you suffer for being self-righteous, if you're being holier than now, if you're being obnoxious, tactless, moronic, if you're being an idiot, it doesn't say that. In those cases, you get what you deserve. You know, and there are Christians, and sad to say, that they make themselves obnoxious in their witness to others. They're thinking they're making a stand for the Lord. But here's my point. When we suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, when we face threats, that's not to trouble us because we have our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in heaven. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. He goes on, Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, our problem is the physical. You know, it's what we feel. The earthly problems and concerns are so tangible, they're right in front of our faces. But if you remember that God is in control of the circumstances uh, and the persecution that you're in is not something odd or unusual, but something to be expected, then, then it can't get you down. Yes, people can hurt you, but they can't do permanent harm to you as long as you understand who keeps you 
We're kept spiritually by the power of God, no matter how tough it may get. You, you can be a follower of what is good. Jesus put it this way in John 16.33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Listen to, to those both statements there. One is a promise. You will have tribulation. But the other is something you can count on. You can have peace. It's an offer. Tribulation is promised, but peace is offered. How do we have that peace? Jesus says, in me you may have peace. Why is that? Well, because the battle's already been won, folks. Listen to Romans 8, 35 and 37. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. He goes on, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. What harm can people do to us because we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us? I think of Goliath. Remember, he shows up and, 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 and he's tiring over David. Little David, what does he do? He heads for the brook and he picks up five stones. Now, why did he pick up five stones? Well, I believe because Goliath had four brothers. David was ready to take on the whole family if necessary. So he slings the stone in the air and down goes Goliath for the count. Then because Goliath was defeated, all of the Philistines, they fled, they took off. And now the men of Israel who were previously reluctant to take on the giant, now they're sharing in the victory that's been won and they're, you know, by the shepherd boy and they're, they're going for it. Listen, in the same way, our champion, our good shepherd, the son of David, Jesus Christ, took on the Goliath of sin in our lives. He beat Satan and he beat the world. And because of that, we live in victory. We have hope. Who can harm us? Our sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Victory has been won. No amount of persecution can change that. No, the Christian race is the only race in the world that, that begins at the finish line. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The battle's already been won. Jesus has already overcome. That's why Jesus says, be of good cheer. Because we have hope. Now this brings us to our second point. We should give hope. Look at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That word sanctify means to set apart. It means reverence. Reverence the Lord God in your heart, Peter says. Now, why does he say that? Well, because when you're facing persecutions and trials, you know, it's hard sometimes. And there are times that we can get angry with God, right? God, how could you allow this to happen in my life? Why did that happen? Why are they doing that? We can grow bitter towards the Lord. Peter says, listen, you need to have hope and you need to have reverence to the Lord in your heart anyway. And understand that, that he sees the big picture. See, we're just ants on, on a tapestry rug of life. And sometimes we may feel like we're being stepped on and squished like a bug. But God knows and God sees. Especially when it comes to outward persecution and outward harassment. We're told to be set apart, to be reverenced, to reverence the Lord God in our hearts. In other words, know that God is in control. He sees the big picture. And then he says this. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, we're to give hope to those that are hopeless. Folks, we have the answer. God has revealed it to us. He opened up our eyes. We have the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have our sins forgiven. The debt has been paid in full. 
So we need to let everyone know the reason for that hope. And he tells us, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks. The word defense is where we get the word apology from. You may have heard the term apologetics. Now, it doesn't mean that you go around saying you're sorry all the time. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's an apologetics guy. No. It means, uh, it describes a reason defense as if you were in a court of law. It's a branch of theology that, that, that deals with defending the faith. It means that you know, you know more than a little bit about your Bible. Let me tell you, that's my prayer for 2018. That this coming year, we will grow in God's Word more and more like never before. J. Vernon McGee, he writes this, The tragedy of the hour is that there are so many folk who say they are Christians, but the skeptic is able to tie them up into 14 different knots like a little kitty caught up in a ball of yarn. They cannot extricate themselves at all. Why? Because of the fact that they do not know the Word of God. We need to be students of the Word to know what you believe and why you believe what you believe. And people say, well, you know, I just, I just can't remember all those facts and scriptures in my brain. I get a brain freeze. Or they say, well, I just, I just uh, you know, I, I know what I believe. I just have a hard time expressing it. Or, or when people ask me, you know, some skeptic or non-believer asks me, I just kind of freak out, you know, when they ask me a question. Well, what do they ask you? Well, did Adam have a belly button? Who cares? Who cares? Did Cain have a wife? Well, I would tell you if I was able I wasn't around for the wedding, you know, but people ask dumb questions all the time. Peter is telling us even still, we're to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks. Doesn't that sound awfully inclusive? Always. Everyone. Does that mean that you should always have an answer to any question anyone asks of every subject? No way. That's impossible. Thankfully, Peter limits it to what? He says, to the hope that is in you. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, that's a great relief because that means not everyone is called to be a Christian scholar. I've read books by, by, by Norman Geisler. You know, he's got books when skeptics ask and, and when critics ask. And I read these things. This guy is a scholar. This guy, man, he's, he's a genius. Ravi Zacharias, man, you listen to this guy and you go, man, he just, I mean, he, he's like a, a walking encyclopedia. I mean, this guy just, 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 just breathes, you know, intelligence. And, and, and see, we're not called to that. But we are called to be an apologist. That is the bare minimum we should be able to give the reason for the hope that is in with, within us. And Peter adds that we, had to, we need to have the right attitude with meekness and in fear. We need to, you know... In other words, to remain meek towards our persecutors and have fear towards God. One author put it this way, you are the witness, not the prosecuting attorney. Now we can get kind of riled up when we're sharing our faith and, you know, Roar! you know, we don't want to do that. You know, we, we want to do this with meekness and fear. But see, it all comes down to this, you know, that we should know enough about our own experience to be able to explain it. It all comes down to Jesus. It all comes down to Jesus. We as believers have hope in Jesus. You have a testimony. Share your testimony. Share the reason you have hope, even in the midst of persecution. You don't need to be a scholar to do that. I think of when Jesus healed the blind man. The blind man didn't know who Jesus was at the time. And he was asked the question, who healed you? He said, well, a man named Jesus. And they asked him again, well, well how did this happen? He said, I don't know. He, you know he's a prophet. 
And then, you know, Jesus came to him and asked him, you know, do you believe in the Son of God? At that point, he says, I believe, Lord. But then when his parents were questioned about the healing, you know, about the event, fearing excommunication, they said of their son, he's of age, go ask him yourself. So they did, and they questioned him again and pressed him for the reason why Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath day. And I love the man's reply, just simply and powerfully, he says, I can't answer your questions. I can't give you a full explanation. All I know is this, once I was blind, now I see. He gave his testimony. We don't have to know the Bible backwards and forwards in order to tell people, once I was blind, now I see. Once I walked in sin, now I walk in grace. Once I had no hope, now I have hope. That's sharing the hope that we have that's within us. And that's, again, Jesus is the reason for that hope that's within us. Jesus took our sins away. Once we were blind, now we see. So we're to have hope. Number two, we're to give hope. And finally, number three, three reasons for hope. First reason we have hope is because of who God is. We have hope because of who God is. Psalm 34, 8. I love this. You can write it down, look it up later. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, our hope is based on the fact that, that our, the Father we have loves us. Our God is a good God. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, uh, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, God looks at each one of us and His thoughts towards us, whether you believe it or not, they're not for evil. He looks at each one of our lives and He says, I have a plan for your life and a purpose. I had a friend years ago when, when I was, we were both young, he, he told me, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but unfortunately it doesn't include hair because I was losing my hair back then. And Now my hair has kind of stayed the same. He's completely bald now and so I, I tease him on that. But listen, God is good and God does have a wonderful plan for our lives. And we may not know what the future holds, but again, we know who holds our future. God holds it and, and he has a plan for each one of us of peace, not of evil, to give us a great future and a hope. Rest assured, God is good. You know, we're told in Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. So I decided to look that up. Scientists have actually tried to estimate how much sand there is on the the earth, and, and they came up with an estimate. How they came up with this, I haven't got a clue. But they said it's 7 quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand on the earth. I'm, I think they fell short of that. But, 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 I mean, think about that. That's how much our God, our Father, thinks about you. Now, you may not understand the reason why I may be going through this tough time, the present difficulty, but I know that my heart is filled with hope because God is my Father. And He's thinking about me, and He knows what's going on in my life. He's good. How can you go wrong? Then the second reason I can have hope is because my hope is based on what God has already done. Not only the finished work of the cross, but I have hope because of what God has done in my past life, in past in my life, not my past life, past in my life. Only one life to live. See, I can look back in my life and I can see those trials and those struggles and those things that I was dealing with and I can see God's hand in my life and go, man, God, you took me through this. You are faithful to get me through whatever I'm going through right now. We can trust God for that. And then thirdly, the reason we have hope is because of God's promises. God's word is filled with promises. 
promises that assure our hearts that God is working, that Jesus is coming back. And so as we walk this Christian walk, we need to be leaning on the promises of God, looking to the promises of God, standing strong on the promises of God. There's a story from the early days of our country where a weary traveler came to the banks of the Mississippi River for the first time. There was no bridge. It was early winter, and the surface of the mighty stream was covered with ice. He thought to himself, do I dare cross over it? I mean, is the ice thick enough? Would it bear my weight? Finally, after much hesitation and with many fears, he began to creep cautiously across the surface of the ice on his hands and knees, inch by inch, you know, about halfway across, he heard the sound of horses and a wagon behind him. And he looked up and he saw a man driving a horse-drawn load of coal across the ice, singing merrily as he goes on his way. Yet here he is on his hands and knees, trembling, afraid the ice might not be strong enough to hold him up. And there, as if whisked away by the winter's wind, went the man, his horses, his wagon, and his load of coal, upheld by the same ice that he was crawling on. See, like this weary traveler, some of us has only learned only to creep upon the promises of God. Oh, I think this is true, okay? I think this is true. And we're cautiously and timidly and, and trembling with, with, with we venture forth upon His promises. As though the lightest of step might, might, you know, suddenly make God's promises no longer valid. I don't know about this promise. Listen. Stand on the promises of of God. He has promised to be with us. We need to believe that promise. He's promised to uphold us. Believe what He says. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Let us believe Him. And above all, He has promised to grant us full and free forgiveness of all of our sins because of Jesus Christ our Savior. Believe Him on that. And He's promised to take us home to heaven one day, and I believe very soon. So let's take Him at His word. Don't just creep on the promises, creep upon these promises as though they are too fragile to hold us up. Stand on them. Be confident in them. Why? Because we have hope. Because God is good. Because God has worked in the past and because we can hold on to the promises of God. Listen, as we close out 2017, as we close out our study this morning, people today, they are hopeless. Primarily because of the emptiness that fills their heart. Augustine was right when he said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in me. B. Pascal, a very influential French mathematician and philosopher, he put it this way. There's a a God-shaped vacuum inside the heart of every man that can't be satisfied by anything but God. And although men try, and even to this day are still trying, it's still like putting a round peg in a square hole. That is why everyone is essentially empty until they find salvation in Jesus Christ. Until then, there's this Christ-shaped vacuum in the hearts of men. They have no hope. Technology isn't going to give them hope. You know, new ideas isn't going to give them hope. But listen, you and I, we have the answer, the hope that you and I do have. So don't give up. Pray for them. Pray for the blinders of sin would be removed so that the grace of God could be clearly seen. Finally, I want to close with this. It's a story by C.H. Spurgeon about a Sikh captain who once related this thrilling incident to him from his own experience. He he writes, A few years ago, said he, I was sailing by the island of Cuba when the cry ran through the ship, Man overboard. It was impossible to put up the helm of the ship, but I instantly seized a rope and threw it over the ship's stern, crying out to the man to seize it as for his life. The sailor caught the rope just as the ship was passing. 
I immediately took another rope and, making a slip noose of it, attached it to the other and slid it down to the struggling sailor and directed him to pass it over his shoulders and under his arms and he would be drawn on board. He was rescued, but he had grasped the rope with such firmness, with such a death grip, that it took hours before his hold relaxed and his hand could be separated from it. With such eagerness, indeed, had he clutched the object that was to save him that the strands of rope became embedded in the flesh of his hands. And then C. Spurgeon writes this, he says, Has not God let down from heaven a rope to every sinner on the earth? Is not every strand a precious promise? And ought we not to lay hold of it as for our very lives? Listen, we don't know, one more time, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we know who holds our tomorrow. Our job, hold on to him as tight as we can. Cling to the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we'll watch God do some amazing things in 2018. Finally, if you've joined us here this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, my question to you is, what are you waiting for? If you don't have this hope of heaven, I mean, you're sin forgiven. I mean, you have nothing. I encourage you, give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. As soon as service is over, the elders will be up front. We'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow Christ. So come up and talk to one of us. We'd love, you, love to, to share with you with that. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, night, this morning, Lord, and for, Lord, you're just working in our hearts and our lives. And we pray, Lord, what we've studied this morning, you would work into our lives, Lord. So as we go our way today, Lord, we would be excited because we have the hope, we have the truth, we know, Lord, where we're going. We know heaven is our home. And that no matter what happens to us here physically, Lord, spiritually, that cannot be taken from us. Lord, we love you so much. We praise you for this time. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their hearts and lives to you, they're yet to know you as their Lord and as their Savior, Lord, they would not leave here without making that commitment to you. We thank you, Lord, for our time uh, this morning, Lord. We thank you for the grace you've given to us. And Lord, we pray for your protection tonight, Lord. I know it's going to be cold in the next coming, coming few days, Lord. We pray for our homes, Lord, for this building as well, that we have no broken pipes, uh, no damage, Lord, to that, Lord. We pray that you would uh, bless our coming year, Lord, as we get ready to bring in the new year. Lord, we look forward to your return. Lord, may... Uh, may it be soon, Lord, even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.